series called The F Word, and it's a fun thing to say out loud in church because you maybe didn't expect that this morning. So good morning. Welcome to the Collective. Uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. My name is Jason, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective. Like I said, I'm starting a new series called The F Word, and I'm fully aware of the connotation of phrase the F Word has when I say that out loud. Fully aware of the different things that may come to your mind when I say that phrase. Uh, I'm glad we weren't expecting to hear that church this morning. Great. But that's the title of our, uh, title of our new series. Uh, and we're talking about forgiveness. And much like the phrase the F word, forgiveness has a wide set of emotions, of memories, of experiences, and associations that come with that phrase, that word. And here's the thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is difficult. And there is a difficult reality that we're faced with when it comes to forgiveness. And this is the idea that the thoughts that we have around different situations and hurts that we've experienced in our story are often more than we can handle. And this idea of forgiveness is near and dear to the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus advocates for an understanding of forgiveness that runs counter to our normal human understanding of it. For forgiveness means not getting even. It means that it won't ever be made fair. Forgiveness means that you won't get to enact all of those elaborate revenge fantasies that you've got going on in the back of your head for some time. So this is an extremely difficult but important subject that we're going to talk about. And this is a conversation I think that's vital wherever we find ourselves in, in our life or in our situations on a day-to-day basis. Wherever you find yourself in your faith this morning, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure what you believe. Forgiveness is something that we all face because hurt is something we all face. And we all have dealt with situations in our life that carry We feel hurt by others, we feel hurt by organizations, we feel hurt by society, and perhaps this morning we even feel hurt by God. And here's the thing, I believe that God has some incredible things for us in store as a community in this next season, but before we can move forward, if you're carrying around a piece of hurt from a decade ago, a year ago, a month ago, a day ago, an hour ago, and someone or something is taking up Resonance in the back of your mind, that is energy that you don't have available to you right now. And if you really want to be as, as I believe God intends for you to believe, be as, as flourishing and as thriving in all that He has for you, then forgiveness is of the utmost importance. C.S. Lewis says this He says, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. So today, by looking at what forgiveness is. And this is one of those topics where you might hear that and say, wow, I'm, I'm probably going to be in a good space over the next four weeks because I've got nothing to forgive. I'm not, I'm not harboring any hard feelings towards anyone or anything. We'll find out by the end of today if you actually do it up. And so, so let's just feel how we are at this moment. Let's be engaged in it. Uh, we're going to be reading this morning out of Matthew chapter 18. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. Otherwise, you can turn to the... Uh, in behind me, we're going to be in Matthew 
chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And I'm reading out of the ESV. And it says this. So then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. One talent is about twenty years worth of a day laborer's wage. One talent, and his debt was ten thousand talents. So modern day context, probably something closer to hundreds of millions to billions of dollars in We don't really know. But we know that it was an excessive amount of money in that context. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So Jesus is painting this elaborate, really dramatic picture. An immense amount of money, an immense punishment that was not just upon him, but upon his whole family. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Let's be honest, he was not going to pay him everything. It was not going to happen. And out of pity, and some translations have better language and say, uh, out of compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a couple thousand dollars. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Because a great way to get a job and pay off his little bit of debt is to put him in prison, right? Makes a ton of sense. Because there's a truth even in that, that often unforgiveness is unreasonable. It's a good reason. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I love that the king associates wickedness with a lack of compassion. Because I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will teach every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Intense. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that forgiveness is your idea. And for every person that is here, uh, the reality of the life that we live is that hurt comes to our situation. And how we manage hurt is going to be a big part of what it means to follow you. So I pray that our hearts are open this morning to learn what that means, to see what you're teaching us, and to step forward into this freedom found in forgiveness. We're so grateful for you and all that you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, let's do this just to bring some solidarity to our group. Raise your hand if you've ever had to forgive someone. It feels good to know that you're not alone, that you've had, and so if you have had to forgive someone, that means you have been hurt by someone. So we're in this together. And some of you may be feeling like you're on number 72 out of 77. 
with somebody and you're just coming to the end of your rope, or you might be sitting beside that person that's on number 72 or 77. But uh, forgiveness, we, we want it to be simple. Have you ever seen when like two little kids are they're playing out in a field and one kid knocks the other kid over and there's crying involved and the parent comes over and the parent's like, apologize to, to your to your friend or to your brother. Jesus thought forgiveness would 
was so vital for the movement of the kingdom that he wanted to remind us and talk about forgiveness in our daily prayers. It's, it's in the heartbeat of what it means to follow Jesus. And that somehow God's forgiveness of me is directly tied to my forgiveness of others. And there's this organic connection that's even in this story. And apparently Jesus takes our inability or our ability to forgive very, very seriously. So if we go back to our passage to provide some context to the text, Jesus has spent all of Matthew 18 in response to the question, the disciple that comes in and says, who is the most important disciple in the kingdom of God? And Jesus is a little annoyed, and he doesn't even really give an answer. He just brings a, a child over, creates a word picture, and says, be like this. Be, be like this kid. Be like a child. Be born again. Be new. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the idea of being a child in community means I have to relearn what it means to be in community, to be in relationship, to have connection with other people. And Jesus warns us that if we're called to be like little children, that means that we're likely going to hurt each other in the community of being invited. So this is important to come to grips with in the church, because I think that we have this false expectation of what it means to follow Jesus in community. But you don't stop being human when you live in community or you are a part of a church and you follow Jesus, that you don't suddenly stop being human. There are going to be moments when we hurt one another. The difference is that unlike other spaces in which we are more focused on self-gain, self-improvement, self-rehab, self-growth, the most important thing Jesus places forgiveness as the most important response of our life when we come to know him. And he gives some real concrete conflict resolution tools in how we can deal with one another. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come and talk about in Matthew 18, but, but we're going to go to where Peter asks this question. Peter asks the question to Jesus, how, how much do I really need to and he kind of asks the question that we all really subconsciously ask, what are you really asking me to do? If someone else actually wrongs me, how much do I have to put up with? And, and Peter is, is generous in his assessment, putting the number at seven times. And we know Peter. Peter's kind of like that. He, he likes to put himself in positions to look Peter's kind of like that kid in the classroom that raises his hand when the teacher's asking, does anyone have a question? And the kid raises his hand with a response. It's not really a question, but an answer to prove that he knows the answer to the question. So then the teacher only has one response. Like, oh, that's so good that you know that. Peter's kind of that guy. And so Peter, Peter knows this. And so we know in the Jewish tradition that the rabbis would have put forgiveness at Three times. That you forgive three times, and on the fourth time, you can do something about it. And they were referring to Amos 1, verses 3, 6, 11, and 13, where God, he, he forgives pagan nations over the course of those verses three times. And so those rabbis were using that as an example of what it means to forgive. And so they were having a biblical basis for what they were doing. And Peter, Peter then was responding, 
above and beyond what was culturally expected, he was responding with grace. And he comes to Jesus and he's excited, he's saying, seven times, I'm going to go seven times. I'm going to use the word, the number seven a lot, Jesus. I know this is going to go really well for me. Seven times. And he's expecting to get patted on the back. And Jesus says, eh, not so much. How about 77 times? And Peter thinks he's about to impress him. Says 77 times. Jesus says 77 times. Says seven. And the question is, is this really a debate about that? And thankfully for some of us, it's not a debate about that. Because what Jesus is doing here is incredibly clever. And this is fascinating. The number seven and 77 occur close together in a single story in only two places in the Bible. This is one of them. And there's only one other place that Jesus is connecting the two. In Genesis 4, there's a story of two brothers, Cain and Abel. And Cain is the jealous brother, and God has addressed the jealousy that is within Cain. He's told him to be careful. That the sin that leads you towards anger and towards wrath, it, it's crouching at your door. It's like a it's like an animal that's going to devour you, to devour you if you don't deal with it. But he gives into his and he murders his brother. And the story goes on that Cain then is banished and he goes and starts a city and he begins this city and it's over five years, it's a five-generation story and it expands and it grows. And in Genesis 4, it talks about the city. And it's not a city that you really want to be in. And it tells the story of one guy in particular named Lamech. And in Genesis 4, it describes, gives a little vignette of a guy named Lamech, and we know that he's a poet because he sings one of the first recorded poems in the Bible, and it's a poem about how macho he is. It's a poem about how he is the man. If you want to pop that up on the screen, Genesis chapter 4, you have that one on the screen? Yeah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Bila, listen to me, wives, Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. So stop for a moment and think about what he's doing here. Not just seven times of revenge, but seventy-seven times. And this is the story. Jesus alludes to at the beginning of his teaching about forgiveness. Jesus is inviting Peter in a moment to do something that is completely counter to his nature, to our nature. If you're, if you're in a fist fight, you've got this natural response to, to either defend or to, to flee. It's the fight or flight response is kind of built Side of us. We, we have this inherent nature in us and how we respond to conflict or to hurt. And our nature, if somebody wrongs us, is to get them back. And Lamech in the Old Testament becomes the epitome of human nature. That if you wrong me, I will wrong you, but even worse. Not, not even just seven times, but 77 times. To 
Jesus alludes to the story of Matthew 18 as saying that the kingdom of God is a completely different thing. That you already know what human nature is and how it causes to spiral and to treat each other poorly. And Jesus is saying that forgiveness is a sign of a new kind of humanity. If the picture of Lamech is unbridled revenge, then the picture of Jesus is unbridled mercy and unbridled forgiveness. It's really powerful what Jesus is doing here. So it raises the question, how do you deal with people who have hurt you? See, that's really the question of forgiveness. When someone hurts you, how do you deal with it? What do you do if you go and talk to them and they don't care? Or if they care and they say they care and they say sorry, are they saying sorry enough so that you feel that their sorry was good enough? What if you do if someone has wronged you and you don't get a chance to talk to them or you don't talk to them because they've passed away or they've moved away or this time has created such a huge gap that you continue to care, but they don't even remember? Because here's the problem with the question that Peter is asking Jesus that we often ask ourselves. That this isn't about seven or seventy-seven. This isn't a question of numbers. This is a question of the heart. Because to ask this question, too often, asking when my forgiveness is enough, is to ask at what point is revenge accepted? When is there a limit? To ask when forgiveness is enough, is to ask at what point is revenge accepted? But that is not what Jesus is leading us not leading us to a finish line for our forgiveness so that we can begin to execute revenge. This is clearly a story meant to confront our propensity for conditional forgiveness in our lives. And when it comes to 77 times when Jesus is teaching on forgiveness, it's really easy to misunderstand and misapply. So today I want to clarify what Jesus doesn't mean by forgiveness. And talk about three things from this passage. First, that forgiveness isn't a feeling. Second, that forgiveness isn't forgetting. And third, that forgiveness isn't for them. Forgiveness isn't a feeling, isn't forgetting, and it isn't for them. Sometimes what happens is when we read a story like this is that we we know that it's designed to lead us to this place of forgiveness. So we're smart enough that we, we, we're aware of what the story is trying to tell us. And we're, we're like, that's a great idea, that's a great concept theoretically. But then we go back to our reality and confront our own hurts. And we're like, ah, this is too hard. This is too difficult to actually deal with. And that, to be honest, is really discouraging. And I think it's, it's, it's self-defeating because we're trying to move from the posture of the servant in our story to the posture of the king in just a moment. And that isn't how forgiveness works. The reality of forgiveness is that it is not a feeling, because feelings are what we carry in a moment, and forgiveness is not. 
it is okay to be ready not to forgive them. Now, Simeon, I'm not saying it's okay not to forgive them. What I'm saying is that it is okay to not be ready to forgive them right now. There's a big difference. Because forgiveness isn't feeling the process. That we lean into, and sometimes it takes a really long time. Possibly seven chapters. But the process of entering the process is. So maybe you're in that process this morning. Maybe you know where you've hurt someone or been or have been hurt by someone and engaged with it and you're aware of it and you know that you're continually having to forgive them. Or maybe you know that you haven't moved on. Maybe you're still in that place where you can't even say their name. Have you noticed that? That when we can't forgive someone, we have trouble saying their name. They're that brother. They're, they're our ex. They're that person at work. They're that person that we know across the street. They're the neighbor. They're that person who has no name but has hurt us so deeply. Name's a power. We never want to give power in that way, so we don't give them a name in that moment. But maybe what you've noticed lately is that you are a little less tense when their name comes around. When you hear about them. That your body doesn't tighten up in the same way when the name comes up or when they're in the same room as you. Notice that. Celebrate that. Pay attention to that because you are slightly less angry today than yesterday, and that means that you are heading to that love party. And it's okay to celebrate that. Because sometimes small wins and incremental process, that's what healing is made of. Second, forgiveness is not about I know that God forgets our sins, but that Isaiah 43 says, I blot out your transgressions, I will not remember your sins. But let's be realistic here. If there's a divine being who speaks reality into existence, he likely doesn't absentmindedly forget our sins or otherwise. What this means is that he doesn't hold our sins against us. Does that mean there are no consequences for our bad choices? Of course not. There are consequences for every decision that is made. Consequences in life, consequences in relationship, consequences in economics, or in our spirituality. But if you go into a process of trying to forgive someone for hurting you, expecting and believing that you have to forego any consequences in your life, that you have to forget everything and return to the way everything was before they injured you, then you're never going to move through it in a healthy way. And you might say that the king seems to have forgotten the sins of the man, the debt of the man, he kind of let it go, but the response of the king when he, had, when he hears of the way that the servant responded later on tells him that it wasn't a matter of the sins being forgotten, but that he knew the debt that needed to be paid and he made a choice. Forgiveness that was shown was not from a place of forgetting, but from a place of grace. And I much prefer a God who knows all my sins, 
who knows all my faults and all my mistakes and still chooses to love me and forgive me over a God who suddenly, selectively remembers parts of my being so that he can accept me. Forgiveness is not forgetting. In ancient times, they used different body parts to represent parts of our human psyche, the intellect, the emotions, the will. And today we, we see the heart as the seat of our emotions. Is that fair? I mean, this is kind of how we perceive it in society. When someone says, I love you with all my heart, it kind of means I feel for you with all of my passion and all of my emotions. But in ancient times, the heart wasn't the seat of emotions. It was the seat of our we can see that we have intellect in our mind, that we have emotions in our gut, but the heart was equidistant. It was the center between. It, it, it was in relationship with our thoughts, and it was in relationship with our emotions, but it was the place where decisions were made. And that is the same thing for forgiveness. Because forgiveness, yes, is an act of the heart. But it's not an emotion Like, 
but this is what we do. That we're experiencing something in our lives, and pretty soon every little thing that we come across is ten times worse, simply because we have not dealt with our unforgiveness in this one area. And then we move to different communities, and we, we, we take ourselves out of one area, and we say, this is the community's fault, or this is the church's fault, or this is my family's fault, and we move, and I'm not trying to discount the real hurt that you've experienced, but until we actually sit and engage with the hurt, and we understand that it's for us and not for them, we're never going to move past it and into the being that God wants us to be. He wants you to flourish. Forgiveness is about you flourishing. It's about you discovering who you are called to be in your fullness. That's why forgiveness isn't for them, it's for you. And I do this all the time. I build up all of these little things. And, and pretty soon, I get so weighed down by everything else in life that rocks my knees. And then I find myself alone and beaten down because my hurt. I like that feeling of rage that I get, or that, that justified pain, that justified action that I get over and over again. That when I do something, when I'm feeling hurt, I feel justified in it, and it becomes a little bit of an addiction that we blindly pursue over and over and over again. So when we get hurt, we respond with hurt because it feels good. And I'm not saying this to minimize the ways in which we're really hurt by something. Please hear me on that. I'm saying this because all of the small things that we have haven't learned how to let go of to make it impossible to process when some real ways and honest hurt comes. In the long process of forgiveness that we have. Cliches, I've often heard that forgiveness is the decision to set someone free and realizing that it's you. Forgiveness is the decision to set someone free and realizing that it's you. The man thought that he needed forgiveness from the king in order to be set free from his debt. But he ended up back in prison because it wasn't forgiveness from another that set him free, it was forgiveness that he had to give that truly. Freedom didn't come through the hands of another, it came from his own decision. And sometimes cliches are cliches for a reason, and this is what Jesus is showing us. The servant is the one left suffering at the end of the story. That this story isn't about a God who punishes our sins or has conditional forgiveness. This is a story meant to show us that the prisons in our mind are built by the enemy's unforgiveness in our something from them, but you're only making yourself more miserable. And eventually, if you don't start to let go of yourself and go to prison, you're going to be playing with passion, wondering how you got to this place. Because that's what unforgiveness does. Forgiveness will never be as transformative for anyone else in the world as it will be for you. Sorry, I lost the context of what you're saying, but it's okay. 
first of all, what I do for forgiveness is to seek for forgiveness in the story of each and every one of us. And forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness isn't about forgetting. Maybe there is forgiveness. If forgiveness is a feeling, it doesn't feel very good. That's the reality of it. Forgiveness, if, if it was for, about forgetting, well, we wouldn't learn from it. And if forgiveness was broader, it would be a lot easier to be honest. Forgiveness is a choice. And it's so humbling and sometimes humiliating. And, and to me, I think forgiveness in a lot of ways, it feels like death. It feels like death because it kills our pride. And I'm convinced that personal pride is an issue under the surface of all forgiveness. In order for forgiveness to happen, something has to happen. And you have to face the pain. And you have to face the hurt. And the death can come in many shapes and sizes. Uh, we might need to bury expectations to a degree. We might need to relinquish the power that comes with being right. Or to put aside the idea that we can use in our heart to still retain the support or approval of others. We might need to identify the pride that we carry that's enslaving our daily lives in an really unhealthy way. Whatever it is, it all has to go. It isn't good enough to walk without committing suicide. It has to die. It has to be grieved. And that is a high price to pay on. But this is the beauty of forgiveness, it seems. That we are forgiven sinners, forgiving Someone who's placed on a, 